0: The Gypsy King Tyson Fury has once again hinted that he may be turning his back on the UK for good and instead seeing out the rest of his career, be it in boxing or otherwise, over in the United States. He seems very bitter towards the British public. So let me give you some quotes here from the Gypsy King. He says, they had their chance. They didn't treat me well. Over here in the United States, I get treated like a superstar. The article goes on to explain that Fury's autobiography, Behind the Mask, comes out next week while UK television channel ITV will air a four-part documentary entitled Meet the Furies. And uh, I certainly hope it features John Fury heavily. (laughs) If it doesn't, I'll give it a pass. If it does, it's must-see television. But in rather typically contradictory fashion... Tyson Fury goes on to say that he actually hates fame. Bizarrely, he says here, it's not really what I'm after. It's strictly business. I made meet the fury so people can see the real Tyson Fury. I hate fame. When I go to a big city, it's just a nightmare. Torture. Honestly, the only bit I enjoy is going to the gym. That's what makes me happy. Everything else is just what I've got to do. So those are the words of the Gypsy King. Again. Very strange that he, in one breath, is bitter towards the British public, says they had their chance, they didn't treat me well. And then in the next breath, he's saying over in the United States, he gets treated like a superstar. The inference being he prefers the way they treat him in America to the way they treat him in the UK. But then he goes on to say he hates fame. It doesn't make any sense. If you hate fame, why are you doing the documentary, Meet the Furies? If you hate fame, Well, surely you'd prefer it in the UK since they don't treat you like a superstar in the UK, right? Since it's such a nightmare to go outside (laughs) and be treated like a superstar, well, why wouldn't you prefer it in the UK? Very, very puzzling stuff from Tyson Fury, but it's, you know, it's typical of the man. That's how he tends to be, very contradictory. And (laughs) as I say, um, this is a guy who is the self-styled man of the people. The guy will happily give... Members of the public, the shirt off his back and talk to anybody. This is what his team say about him. But yet he says he absolutely hates it. He hates the fame. You know, I guess being recognized in the street and people wanted to talk to you and take selfies. He says he hates it. <laughs> I thought he was the man of the people. What's going on here? Now, with regards to the way he was treated in the UK, particularly following his victory over Vladimir Klitschko, it's really not rocket science. People act like there's some grand scheme behind behind it all of people trying to keep Tyson Fury down because of his background, right? Cuz he's a gypsy. No. No, had nothing to do with that. Tyson Fury was promoted by Mick Hennessy and he was fighting on Box Nation. You're obviously not going to be as big of a star and as well promoted if you're with Mick Hennessy on Box Nation, are you? As you would be if you're with Eddie Hearn and Sky, especially back then. It, it don't take rocket science to figure that out, people. And on top of that, Tyson Fury beat Klitschko in good fashion, but it wasn't an exciting fight. So that's another mark you know, against him from the notoriety and fame perspective. And then add on top of that, the controversial comments that Tyson Fury made. And look, I'm not knocking him for making the comments that he made, but understand that if you say certain things in today's climate, and I'm not talking about the weather here, people, all right, But in today's climate, if you say certain things, you are going to experience backlash from the media and from large sections of the public. That's just the world we live in now. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Which is why he didn't get the kind of adulation following his win over Klitschko. Because again, signed to Mick Hennessy, fighting on Box Nation wasn't a particularly exciting performance. And he's coming out with controversial comments. That is not a recipe for being embraced by the British public and being held aloft by the British media. That's just not a recipe for that. It's a recipe for the exact opposite. It's not rocket science to figure this stuff out, people. On the other hand, you have Anthony Joshua, and yes, it's all about Anthony Joshua, as far as Tyson Fury is concerned. Fury and his team and his followers have been deeply envious of the popularity that Anthony Joshua has enjoyed. But the reason why Anthony Joshua has enjoyed so much popularity is because he wasn't promoted by Mick Hennessy, he was promoted by Eddie Hearn, okay? Chalk and cheese, night and day, in terms of the level of promoter we're talking about when you compare those two. So he was promoted by her, not Hennessy. He was on Sky, not on Box Nation. I mean, people, come on. It's not difficult to figure out why AJ was a lot more popular. AJ also brought the ladies in. That's a big section of his uh, audience. He managed to bring them in. Most fighters don't manage to do that. He brought them in. He's a heavyweight. He was knocking people out. He wasn't really going to points a lot. So that's going to bring more of the public in. And on top of that, he was towing the politically correct line. And I know we can criticize that and say, oh, well, we'd prefer him to speak out and say this and say that. He decided to tow the politically correct line so that he could get the sponsorships so that he could get pushed by the media. That's the road he chose to go down. Tyson Fury chose to go the other way. If if Anthony Joshua had said the things that Tyson Fury had said publicly, and if Anthony Joshua was promoted by box uh, uh, excuse me, promoted by Mick Hennessy and was fighting on Box Nation, and if Anthony Joshua wasn't knocking people out and if he was mostly going the distance, then he'd probably be in a very similar situation to Tyson Fury. It's as simple as that. There's no mystery behind it. It's very, very straightforward. So you know now, as far as what do I think of Tyson Fury maybe turning his back on the British public? Um, again, he, he clearly craves the adulation as much as he says he hates fame. No, he, his ego wants to be loved. His, his dad even said this a couple years back. He wants to be loved by the British public. He wants them to hold him aloft and massage his ego. He wants that. Um, and turning his back and go into the United States where he can get it from people instead. Good luck to him. The only thing is if Anthony Joshua, can get back up to the top of the tree and become a heavyweight champion again and start racking up some good wins. And it's a big if right now. His career is in the balance. But if he can, then we would all love to see Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury face off. And that fight only makes sense in the UK. How could you deny the British public a fight between the two most successful British heavyweights that we've seen in many, many years? That would be a scandal to be honest if Tyson Fury refused to fight AJ in the UK. A huge scandal. So I hope Tyson Fury softens his attitude a little bit towards the British public, understands the mistakes he made, particularly with regards to being with Box Nation and Mick Hennessy. <laughs> Come on now, people. That is not a winning combination. So I hope his attitude softens a little bit and. If Tyson Fury carries on at the top of his game, particularly if he beats Wilder in the rematch, come on, Tyson. Give us the Anthony Joshua fight if AJ's still at the top. Give us that fight in the UK. Wembley Stadium, it'll be a massive event. Don't deny the British public that. Yeah. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening, I'm out. Cuban welterweight contender, your Dennis Ugas, tweeted the following about KSI and Logan Paul. He said, I'm happy for them, but can someone explain to me how two debutants are winning 900K? I am an Olympic medalist. I fought everyone. I fought a day of warning. I fought Delorme With 10 days of warning, I spent 10 years of hard work to get closer to that money." Now there's a couple people with some very good replies here below. The first one says, "'The boxing community slash boxers need to stop taking it so personally. They're not making that kind of money because they're boxing it's because they have, they have a big brand and sell no matter what they do. And another person here says, amazing that none of them understand this basic concept. And I could go on because there are other replies. But indeed, UGAS seems to be oblivious or maybe just ignorant to the fact that KSI and Logan Paul are not two regular debutants. KSI and Logan Paul are two of the most famous people on the internet among the young generation. They are internet superstars, long before they ever laced up a pair of boxing gloves. So if you've got two of the most famous people on the internet who are gonna fight each other, obviously their fight is gonna get a lot of views. A lot of people are gonna turn up to watch. It's gonna do good pay-per-view numbers. I mean, it's not rocket science, people. (laughs) It's not regular debutants. These are people who were already famous before they tried boxing. It is what it is. They'd already built up a following over a number of years. KSI was playing FIFA and, you know, doing what he does on his channel for many, many years. And he built up his subscriber base on YouTube into the millions. I believe him and Logan Paul have both got about 20 million subscribers on their respective channels. So if your social media following is that big, well, what's going to happen if you fight each other? (laughs) It's going to be a success in terms of numbers. And that's what we saw. So that seems to be lost on your Dennis Ugas. And there's one or two other fighters out there who have come out with similar comments and certainly members of the public. But the majority of fighters have been very supportive of KSI versus Logan Paul. And me as a boxing veteran, a hardcore boxing fan, I'm very supportive of it as well. They could have chosen any other sport and it would have been successful. You know, they could have had an MMA match against each other, a kickboxing match, a go-karting race. (laughs) You know, they could have done anything, and it would have been successful. They chose boxing, and I'm happy they did because it shines a light on our sport. And maybe some of their fans will want to, you know, pick up a pair of boxing gloves and give it a go for themselves, which is all good. Anything that encourages people to want to try the sport, I'm in favor of. And that's what KSI and Logan Paul have done. Now, what I would say to people like you, Dennis Ugas, is don't be mad at KSI and Logan Paul. Don't be envious of them. Learn from them. Yes, learn from KSI and Logan Paul. Not with regards to their boxing ability, obviously, but with regards to the way they have built their brands over the years. You know, in the United States, most world champions can't fill out an arena, but yet these two YouTubers were able to fill out the Staples center for their pro debuts and do very good numbers for the zone and good numbers on UK pay-per-view. So there is a market there for boxing, but the boxers have to be marketed the right way in order to attract the audience. In fact, you could say that there's an untapped audience there. The very people who turned out for KSI and Logan Paul are the people who boxing promoters and boxers themselves should be trying to capture. That audience right there is enthusiastic and they will spend money. You need to capture that audience. How do you go about it? Well, KSI and Logan Paul have just showed you. You need to build yourself up on social media. And one of the ways that boxers... Uh, can build themselves up on social media to tap into this particular audience is to start engaging with people on social media, okay, and I'm talking about other public figures who are not in the boxing community. Because what most boxers tend to do is just start engaging in beefs and stuff like that within the boxing community, with other boxers or having a go at certain promoters. But that keeps it in a very, very small sphere. Do you understand? You're trying to tap into an audience, which exists outside of the boxing community. So you're going to have to start engaging with people, engaging with public figures outside of the boxing community. And you're going to have to be strategic about it. It's going to have to be, you know, public figures who mean something in their particular field. Yeah. Public figures who are influential over the younger generation. Those are the kind of people that you're going to need to interact with and not just interact with them regarding boxing, interact with them regarding other issues and and what have you. You have to be a bit smart about it. Now, being on social media all the time for a boxer in most instances is not really a good idea. Okay. But that's what you got a team for. You see, I think a lot of the PR teams that boxers have and management teams They're stuck in the dark ages a little bit at this point because they're still trying to groom fighters to be media savvy, politically correct, etc., etc., which is all well and good, but not everybody's going to reach the level where they're going to be embraced by the mainstream media. In fact, just to go back to KSI and Logan Paul, they weren't embraced by the mainstream media. When they did their first fight, Sky didn't want to show it in the UK. So they went ahead and did their first fight on YouTube pay-per-view independently without any major UK broadcaster or major American broadcaster involved. But they did such good numbers with their own independent pay-per-view that Sky couldn't ignore it second time around. So that right there is another example of something as a young boxer or a promoter, you should be inspired by that, that you can actually go the independent route put a, uh, a, a pay-per-view on YouTube, McKennessy style, right? If you have to, if you can build up a big enough audience, you can do something like that and be successful with it and draw the attention of a sky or a zone or whatever. So the teams of these boxers, rather than trying to polish them up and make them into the next Anthony Joshua. All right. In terms of their media trained ways, Instead, go down the road of a KSI and Logan Paul. Because as long as you've got the people on your side, especially the young people, if you get them on your side and you're popular with them, the mainstream's not going to be able to stop you. <laughs> the mainstream's going to look at your numbers and say, well, look, the mainstream can stop you if you step over a certain line. Definitely, they can stop you. But within reason, you can be a bit edgy, like Logan Paul and KSI have been. You can be, you know, uncouth and foul-mouthed and do things that are, uh, you know, borderline a lot of the time, and get away with it as long as you've got the young people on your side. So, again, the teams of the boxers, the PR people, the management people, they need to be looking at ways to construct characters for their fighters. Yeah, I'm going to go there to construct a character there. Excuse me, a character for their fighter who is palatable to this new social media generation. Yeah. Just like with wrestling, they construct characters, right? Vince McMahon talks with the wrestlers and they come up with some idea for a character. That's what you're going to have to do. That's what the youngsters want. <laughs> I know it sounds uh very cynical, but it's what they want, people. At least in the United States. In the UK, you don't really have to go to that extreme because in the UK, people are very loyal to their local fighters and, you know, you can be real you don't have to be a caricature all the time and people as long as you're delivering the goods in the ring they'll latch on you and they'll support you but in the united states it's just not like that unfortunately with regards to boxing you are going to have to be a caricature you are going to have to be you know a bit edgy and controversial and stuff like that and a bit of a troll online that's how you're gonna have to be <laughs> you're gonna have to engage with people outside of the boxing community in conversations and and spats. And again, it doesn't have to be the boxer himself doing this. It could be a member of their team operating their Twitter account. And how would you know that it's not the boxer himself? The boxer can claim response, oh yeah, it was me. You see, there are clever ways of going about these things so that the boxer is not too preoccupied with being on Twitter all the time or Instagram. You can have a team of people that help construct the character for him, yeah? so. Any smart teams out there, smart management teams, smart PR people, this is what they'll be looking to do. Because at the moment, you've got fighters trying to do it themselves. You know, the O'Hara is of the world, he tried to do it himself. And doing it yourself is much more difficult than doing it within a team who all have the same vision of what they're trying to create, you know? You do it within a team, you're going to be much more successful. And so that's the, that's the way boxing has to go in the United States. If it's going to get back to where it used to be in the 70s and the 80s and most of the 90s in terms of popularity. That's where it's gonna have to be. So anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening, I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week covering a wide variety of controversial topics as well as live stream Q and A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far for just $3 a month, the equivalent of about two pounds a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalog of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up There's no contract and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. Deontay Wilder recently said that he has absolutely no interest in becoming the WBC franchise champion and that he would reject it if it were offered to him. Well, Eddie Hearn has responded by saying that he thinks Deontay may do a U-turn and actually accept franchise status in the future as an excuse to duck fights with Anthony Joshua and Dylan White. Now, there's absolutely no question that Deontay Wilder has ducked AJ and Dylan White for years. He has turned down multiple offers to face both of them for career-high money and rejected every single offer. Now, I personally am not convinced that Deontay is scared to fight. Anthony Joshua or Dylan White, I think it's his team that have kept him away from those fights. I think they looked at both fights, particularly against Dylan White, as an unnecessary risk. But nonetheless, a duck is still a duck, whether it's your team doing it on your behalf or or whether it's you, a duck is still a duck. And Deontay Wilder has ducked the pair of them for a long time. However, after AJ got destroyed by Andy Ruiz... I personally suspect that Wilder's team are a lot more confident now of putting Wilder in against AJ. And I've said this in uh, previous videos. I personally think that if AJ comes through the Ruiz rematch, the tables are going to turn. And instead of AJ pursuing Wilder as it was before, now it's going to be Wilder pursuing AJ. I think the tables are going to turn. And that rather than Wilder avoiding the fight as he was previously, it will now be AJ and Hearn avoiding the fight. So perhaps I'm wrong. Time will tell. But how, did, how does this relate to Eddie Hearn saying that he expects Wilder to avoid the Joshua fight and the Dylan White fight? Well, I think Eddie Hearn is now giving Team Wilder a taste of the own medicine. Eddie Hearn has, for the most part, been quite diplomatic during this beef that uh, AJ and Wilder have had over the past 18 months or so. He's been relatively diplomatic towards uh, Wilder and his team. Most of the vitriol has been coming from Team Wilder towards AJ and Hearn. They've been saying far more harsh things about AJ and Hearn than AJ and Hearn have been saying about them. But now I think Hearn has had enough of playing Mr. Nice Guy and Mr. Diplomatic. He's seen the way Deontay Wilder and his team have manipulated the media and tried to manipulate public perception. So now he wants to get him a taste of the raw medicine, and now he's gonna try and manipulate public perception. I think that's what Eddie Hearn is doing here. And I think it's kind of a response to what Wilder's team and his fans were, were saying, in the wake of Eddie Hearn's comments about, uh, the Ruiz Joshua winner vacating one of the belts because many of the Deontay Wilder fanboys have been saying, well, this is just a move that Eddie Hearn is planning. Um, you know, AJ dropping one of the belts to avoid Wilder. Well, I don't see how AJ dropping a WBO belt would be tantamount to avoiding Wilder because Wilder is not a mandatory for the WBO belt. So how the hell does that have anything to do with Deontay Wilder? I don't get it. I mean, somebody needs to explain this to me. Furthermore, the WBO have ordered a mandatory. The winner of AJ Ruiz 2 must face Alexander Usyk. The IBF have also ordered a mandatory. The winner of AJ Ruiz 2 must face Kubrat Pulev. And they've put Time limits on these things. So, unless a deal can be worked out, which is what Eddie Hearn said, a deal for an undisputed fight, unless a deal can be worked out, the winner is going to be forced to vacate or get stripped. Now, the reason why you might choose to vacate rather than get stripped is because, from Eddie Hearn's perspective, if AJ has to lose one of the belts, the IBF or the WBO, he'd prefer him to lose a belt that one of his other heavyweights could fight for. Because if he loses the IBF belt, Kubrat Pulev is the number one contender. I think Tyson Fury might be number two or three in the IBF. So it's unlikely that an Eddie Hearn fighter would get to fight for the vacant belt. But if AJ vacates the WBO belt instead, Alexander Usek, who is an Eddie Hearn fighter, is almost certainly going to fight for that vacant belt, perhaps against another Eddie Hearn fighter. So if you're going to lose one belt, you might, as lo- you might as well lose the belt that's going to allow other heavyweights from your stable to fight for it. So there is strategic planning behind it, I would suspect. But again, this doesn't mean that it's a plan for AJ to avoid Deontay Wilder, You know, even though I think he probably will now start avoiding Wilder. This specific move isn't about that, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I can see. It isn't about that. It's just about the fact that you, they're probably gonna get stripped of one belt, so which one do you wanna give up? Do you wanna wait until the IBF strips you, and then that belt has gone off and it's over in ESPN now, and with top rank, or do you wanna help your promoter out and say, okay, I'll vacate the WBO instead Usec and whoever can fight for that. And then if I want to unify with them, it's a fairly straightforward deal to do. Right. An in-house fight is a lot more straightforward than trying to work with Wilder's people. So I think that's what's going on there. And as I say, the fact that Hearn is coming out and saying the things he's saying about Deontay Wilder, I think he's trying to give them a taste of their own medicine, Team Wilder, because they've been playing all kind of dirty tricks and manipulating the public and, uh, saying certain things in the media, Hearn's done it. Now Eddie Hearn is trying to do the same thing. <laughs> That's what I see uh, in this particular instance. You know, so let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Um, is the, some of you are going to say, "Well, no, Deontay Wilder will use the franchise status to avoid those fights." Well, we know he's going to continue to avoid the Dylan White fight. I mean, the WBC's recent decision is evidence of that. Because, you know, the WBC appeared to pander to Deontay Wilder's every need. You know, I said in a previous video, it appears as though Deontay Wilder is virtually picking his own mandatories. That's how much the WBC are uh, catering to Wilder and his team. So, yeah, with regards to Dylan White, I've got no doubt he'll keep on avoiding White. But with Anthony Joshua... I don't know, man. I think his team have changed their mind on that fight after seeing what happened against Andy Ruiz first time around. Anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Again, my predictions here in terms of the way the politics of the division is uh, going to play out. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but you know we'll see. Let me know you, Let me know what you guys think in the comments below is happening about. I'm going to give you some quotes here from David Hay, the manager of Derek Chizora, He said he sparred AJ and he didn't even tell me. Normally he wouldn't do it, but he's ticked over in the gym and he said he's enjoyed sparring. Derek was impressed. AJ was super fit, in great shape, focused on his boxing. All the right noises were coming out of the camp. There were multiple sparring partners, including Bryant Jennings. AJ has slimmed down. If you're going to have a long range boxing match, then trim off any unnecessary muscle. Derek's mindset now has the willingness to pay the price in training. He focuses on the fundamentals of hard work. It's not fun to work hard and eat boring meals. He's done that in the past, but now he's lean and mean. Straight after his fight with Price, he said, I need to lose weight. He has an extra stone of weight that he is carrying. He can still do sprints, deadlifting, and sprints, but a 120 kilo Chizora uh, would lose to a 113 kilo Chizora who would have faster reactions. He understands that. And says he's willing to lose weight. Or oh, he will lose the weight, excuse me. So those are the words of David Hay, the manager of Derek Chisora. Interestingly, he talks about Chisora's feedback with regards to AJ. Uh, but also that Derek Chisora knows he needs to lose weight. Perhaps he struggled in the sparring with AJ. Perhaps he saw the kind of shape that AJ's in. And he thought, you know what? That's given me some inspiration to get in better condition, to be lighter on my feet, because he might've been feeling himself after the David Price fight. But then when he sparred AJ and saw how much quicker AJ is on his feet than Price, he thought, you know what? Nah, if I'm going to compete at the top level, I need to get some of this weight off. It's too much. So, you know, sometimes your manager can tell you something until he's blue in the face, but you won't listen. You have to go in there and experience something in the ring, which makes you realize, you know what? I'm going in the wrong direction and I need to fix up. So maybe that's what happened there. But with regards to his feedback about AJ and the fact that AJ is apparently looking really sharp and good inspiring, sparring and all that, super fit and focused on boxing. This really is the acid test for AJ from a mental point of view, as much as anything else, because AJ has all the physical ability to beat Andy Ruiz. I personally don't think that AJ's punch resistance is the most concerning thing going into the Ruiz fight. No, because truth be told, AJ's fought bigger punches than Andy Ruiz before and beaten him. You know, Vladimir Klitschko's a bigger puncher than Andy Ruiz. I would say Povetkin's probably a bigger puncher than Andy Ruiz. So he's been in there with bigger punches and beaten him. Issue here is not just stylistically Ruiz is dangerous because he's a front foot counter puncher. The issue is the mental scars that were left, not only from the Ruiz defeat, but from the subsequent uh, backlash from the fans and the inevitable feelings of self doubt, etc., that have crept into AJ's head. Overcoming that is going to be the biggest obstacle. That is where AJ versus Ruiz will be won and lost, in my opinion. Yeah, because as I say, AJ has the physical attributes to beat Andy Ruiz. He's got the height, he's got the reach, he's got the foot speed, he's got the hand speed. He can go 12 rounds. Andy Ruiz, because he's a front foot counter puncher and because he's not a volume puncher, you don't necessarily have to throw a whole heap of shots over the course of a 12 round bout to outpoint him. Joseph Parker didn't throw that many against Ruiz when they went 12 rounds several years ago. And in fact, I would say from a strategic point of view, if you're going to fight Andy Ruiz and use your height and reach, you want to minimize the number of punches that you're throwing. The more shots that you throw, the more opportunity he has to counter you. So you want to throw, you know, ones and twos and just keep it long and boring and basic. That's what you want to do. AJ can do that from a physical point of view. It's just whether he can hold it together mentally and the mental aspect, I think is also connected to his stamina because again, I think that the most alarming thing in AJ Ruiz one wasn't AJ's punch resistance. It was his stamina. He appeared to be completely and utterly gassed after just a couple rounds. And and there seems to be a link between him being hurt and his stamina. We saw it in the Dylan White fight. As soon as he got hurt by Dylan White, it seemed to drain him of all his energy. And it took several rounds for him to recover. It was even worse against Vladimir Klitschko. When he got dropped in that uh, sixth round, it took him several rounds to get over it. He doesn't recover quickly, Anthony Joshua. You know? So... The stamina is a bigger issue, in my view, than the punch resistance, yeah? Will Andy Ruiz be able to exploit the stamina issues that Anthony Joshua has? And I've said for many years, I think Anthony Joshua's got stamina issues. And I've had a lot of backlash from AJ fans, and I was saying he's got stamina issues long before he lost to Andy Ruiz. Even after he went the distance against Joseph Parker, I was saying, I'm still not convinced by his stamina because the fight was fought at such a slow pace. Anybody can go 12 rounds if it's a a snail's pace. It's when you're under pressure. It's when you're forced to work hard. That's when we see what your stamina is like over 12 rounds. And AJ's never gone 12 rounds at a good clip. Even though the Klitschko fight went late, there were so many rounds in the middle of that fight where AJ wasn't doing anything because he was just trying to get over uh, being hurt in round six. So yeah, I think... The mental aspect of AJ's game is, is going to, uh, face its acid test in this Andy Ruiz rematch and also his stamina. Now with regards to the mental aspect, Matthew Macklin did this interview uh, yesterday and he said, well, yesterday, if you're watching on, uh, Tuesday, if you're watching this on Wednesday. It depends when when I upload this. I might upload it on Wednesday. I'm not sure. Uh, But it was on the 11th. And Matthew Macklin was talking about the mental aspect of uh, AJ Ruiz 2. Matthew Macklin has suffered defeats. Matthew Macklin has been knocked out. He knows the mental mental turmoil and, and the scars that fighters have to heal from when coming off a knockout defeat where he was really beaten up. He knows how that feels like, you know, he knows what that feels like. Now, of course, Matthew Macklin was never an elite fighter. And with a lot of elite fighters, not all of them, but with a lot of them, they have unusually strong mental ability. So whereby a fringe contender or a run of the mill contender might not have that ability to recover quickly from a devastating, humiliating defeat. Some of the elite fighters do have that ability. I mean, we saw when Lennox Lewis had an immediate rematch with Hasim Rackman. Lewis did not look gun shy in that rematch. He didn't look scared. If you didn't know better, you'd think he'd never fought uh, Hasim Rackman before. In that rematch, he looked so confident. In fact, he looked more confident in the rematch than he did in the first fight. In terms of his body language and the way he was fighting, he seemed so self-assured. Yeah? Um, Will Anthony Joshua be like that? Or will he be like most fighters in that same position where they're taking an immediate rematch against somebody who's just knocked them out? And will he actually be intimidated? Will he actually be mentally fragile? Will he actually be full of doubt? We'll see. It's the acid test. Um, will he will he be will he have that elite level mental fortitude? Or will he be like a run-of-the-mill heavyweight contender in terms of his mental strength? It's gonna be interesting to see, but they say he's sparring well, he's doing all the, the right things, trimming down the muscle moving a lot more, focusing on his boxing. Of course, him and his team must have looked at the Joseph Parker-Andy Ruiz fight, and they should be using that as a blueprint. And as I say, one of the things that Joseph Parker did is he didn't punch with Ruiz, but he also didn't punch too much. Don't want to punch too much with the guy. Right? Keep it simple, ones and twos. If you've got to win on points, win on points. You can worry about looking good against the next opponent. With this opponent, just win the fight. So, yeah, going to be interesting to see how it plays out, whether he can hold it together mentally and whether he can hold the stamina together because, you know, it's really not about his chin as far as I'm concerned. People are talking about, oh, he's chinny, this, that, and the other. Listen, it's the heavyweight division. Lennox Lewis was knocked out with one punch twice by two guys who were not noted as one-punch knockout artists in Oliver McCall and Hasim Rackman. So, but yet Lewis beat bigger punches than them. He beat, Shannon Briggs. He beat Vitaly Klitschko. He beat Mike Tyson. He beat David Tua. He beat Razor Ruddock. You know, he beat Frank Bruno. Beat lots of people who hit harder than the guys who knocked him out. Same with AJ. He has beat people who hit harder than Andy Ruiz before. So it's really not about AJ's chin. It's more about his stamina and his mental strength. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. What's happening. I'm out join me on patreon i upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week covering a wide variety of controversial topics as well as live stream q a sessions take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts i've produced so far for just three dollars a month the equivalent of about two pounds a month you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalog of past podcasts including my popular confessions of a nightclub bouncer series You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the patreon app from the google play store or the app store for free the patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in mp3 for less than the price of a cup of coffee you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content it's easy to sign up there's no contract and you can cancel at any time so come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on patreon today
1: Before I let you go you obviously trained Connor Ben here he's doing really well in his career until recently it looked like his dad Nigel was going to make a comeback um, at 55 years of age I believe he is that was recently cancelled were you obviously you Connor may have been sad but were you relieved that, that it was cancelled
2: yeah very
1: late you know um
2: it's not for me to judge someone like Nigel Ben you know he's been a legend in his own right and um I believe the only person who can judge us is the Lord Jesus Christ and, you know, Nigel's a big believer in that, you know, and uh, I believe that, you know, he was looking down and pulled him out for a reason because mentally, he was getting himself mentally prepared to fight, you know, in the last three years, that's all he really spoke about and, um, I, I was relieved, yeah, to see him not fight. I really was, you know. He's a, he's a good man, Nigel, a good friend of mine. I respect him, and I was relieved not to see him fight. I didn't, want, I didn't want to see him fight.
1: I mean, he can't be far apart in age from you, I guess. It'd be like thinking about you going back and having another 12-rounder or 10-rounder. Uh, I'm a lot
2: younger than Nigel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, You're a bit younger than Nigel. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I, You know, this is a young man's sport and as we were talking about Ricky there at 36, like Ricky's obviously operating at world level still but, you know, I believe Ricky three or four years ago would have beat Lee Selby, you know, then you're talking about a guy who's like 15 years or 20 years older than Ricky operating and, uh, you know, realistically in this sport, is a young man's sport, you know, and uh, I'm really relieved that he's, uh,
1: he's not fighting. Brilliant. Well, Tony, we really thank you for your time and wish you the best of luck on the 23rd of November. Danny Flexent here, four seconds out with soon-to-be world title challenger John, the gorilla rider, although I believe it's now the Tank, is that is that right?
3: I don't know, Tony, Tony's making the nicknames up as he goes along, but yes, he's, um, he's been the Gorilla for a while, but he's uh, he's calling me Tank of late, so yeah, we'll, we'll see it, we'll see what comes out on fight night.
1: I want to ask, you've obviously preparing hard for the Callum Smith fight, November the 23rd, yep. who gave you the shiner? Yeah, the world demands to know.
3: Um, Craig Richards, you have got to thank for that, he's, um, he's forever given me shiners. That doesn't sound right, does it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not from the old school slang, no. From
3: the old school slang, yeah. It's uh, forever punched me in the eye, giving <laughs> me a black eye. But um, yeah, nice. No, good, good work. We've got great sparring coming down. Uh, working really hard.
1: Working with the likes of Craig and I believe Umar Sadiq is another one that you've been working with. Yeah. How fortunate is it for you that you found these quality operators who happen to have similar physical dimensions to Smith?
3: It's invaluable, do you know what I mean? It's, um, we're very lucky and very fortunate. We got it. like we got Craig in house. Umar Sadiq comes down. We're, we're very fortunate. I mean, Callum Smith's going to be complete. It's going to be a completely different kettle of fish on fight night. But I'm preparing meticulously and um, the best I can. I, feel, I believe.
1: I imagine Callum Smith's someone that you've seen a lot of over time, even though even when you didn't know you were going to be fighting him, because he's just been on TV so much and in your weight division. What, what do you make of him? Kind of strengths, weaknesses.
3: He's very he's very good all around though. He's not really put a foot wrong so far in his career. He's, um, he's dispatched with one that's been put in front of him, and um, it's going to be a tough fight. I believe we're both going to be in for a tough night, but I believe that I've got the skills, the ability, the willpower to get through it and, and to win this title.
1: How close were you to signing for a different fight? I know there were offers there with Eubank and uh, Saunders as well. Was it the world title that really swung it? Uh,
3: no, I mean, no, I did agree to the Eubank fight. um. I, I, he agreed to it but it just didn't materialize then the wba ordered the um the, the title fight so it worked out well timing timing is everything
1: going up to liverpool obviously for the fight is, is that kind of a blessing in disguise there's less pressure on you
3: uh do you know what i actually love liverpool as a, as a city and uh, the fight cities i've been to a few shows up there and it's a it's a it's a great event up there so they're
1: still gonna boo you they're gonna bo- <laughs> they're
3: gonna boo me um but I believe they'll cheer me on the way out and make a, few, make a few new fans. So, yeah, you know what? It's, it's good to go to the Lions' den and really, really step into his backyard. And what, what a better way to win than in his backyard.
1: I know it's hard to put into words, but how does it feel after such a, a long career, ups and downs, fighting top quality operators on a regular basis to reach that pinnacle, to finally get the world title fight nailed down?
3: unbelievable do you know what I mean because I've had a lot of, lot of close fights, a lot of fights that could have gone either way and I, I could have won, um, losing down to weight and stuff like that and it's just wasn't a true, true representation of myself and I believe now I'm at my best and I understand the boxing's better knowledge of the game and just understand I just believe that the time is right now for me to, for me to do this and really achieve my goals.
1: It's coming against a fellow brit of course and also the consensus number one in the division do those two things kind of increase the importance of it for you and, and how much it means
3: yeah of course yeah i'm not fighting for some silly little vacant title or a regular title do you know what i mean i'm going against the man who's who's beat the man in george groves and um he's the ring magazine champion in the world and he is number one for a reason
1: quite friendly with groves
3: not overly no oh. but um well, no, nah, just uh, if I see him, we we'll say hello. But we're not, we're not like on each other's phone books and nothing. But um, no, he, he beat Groves and done it in great fashion. Um, so yeah, you've got, you've got to take your hat off to him.
1: Have you thought at all about the future beyond beating Callum Smith? Obviously, this is the biggest fight of your life. But have you thought about kind of a plan going forward after that?
3: Not really. I like to concentrate on the job in hand and not look too far ahead. But obviously, you hear of like Callum's plans of Anfield and Canelo, and it's like. Well, I want them myself, do you know what I mean, so obviously not the Anfield fight. <laughs> but, um,
1: where, where would it be for you?
3: Emirates. Yes. Hopefully. But um, yeah, I want these big fights myself, so it's hard to not look beyond someone, but I'm fully focused on Callum Smith and November 23rd and then win that and then we can start building momentum and chase other big fights.
1: Brilliant. Well we wish you the very best of luck obviously for the 23rd and yeah, we'll be watching with interest. Thank you. Cheers mate. Cheers,
4: Inside PBC Boxing, a big welcome as well to middleweight contender Chris Eubank, Jr., to his father as well, former two-division champion Chris Eubank, Sr., our very first British guest on the show, I might add. Uh, perhaps our <laughs> fanciest guest as well so far. We're the first British guest I yeah, you know. Heard. What's happening?
5: Wow. It's been a uh, while. Well, it's a privilege. Thank well, you we're glad much. to have
4: you. Uh, welcome to America. You're based over here right now, preparing for your next fight. Uh, your next opponent, Matt Korobov, it's for the vacant interim WBA middleweight title belt, which is on December 7th. How do you beat him?
5: How do I beat Matt Korobov? Um, pressure. Pressure and uh, and smarts. He's a very experienced and um, well-renowned amateur fighter. I think he's had like 300-plus amateur wins. Yeah. Uh, we have the same record in the pros, 28 and 2. Um, but I believe that my firepower and my hunger is going to be able to uh to diminish anything he brings to the ring. You know, I, I believe he had a he, he had a great fight against Charlo last year. And um, you know, I'm making a statement. I'm gonna go in there and make a statement. I'm gonna stop him.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm
5: gonna outbox him and then stop him.
6: That's that's
7: uh, where yeah. my mind goes. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that fight. That was the first time I'd heard of Matt Korbov and the first time I'd seen him. I haven't actually I haven't seen him since, but in that fight with Korbov and Charlo. Where do you think the separation is for you in terms of beating Korobov more decisively than than charlo did
5: the jab um and and firepower getting him when he's when he's up against those ropes when he's not active taking full advantage? I feel like charlo was uh he wasn't busy enough mm-hmm. when he should have been mm-hmm. and that's why the fight was so close mm-hmm. um, you know Korobov is uh he's a he's, uh, he's a counter punch he picks his punches mm-hmm. um, you know I think that you can overwhelm a man like that. As a professional, have you fought any Russian fighters? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I fought WBA, uh, WBA interim. Yeah, my first yeah uh, WBA interim world title against Chudinov. Yeah, um, yeah, that was uh, that was my first time. I, I think I fought a couple of Russian journeymen oh, too. That, the one thing about these Eastern Europeans, they're very tough. This is why yeah, I asked, had you yeah.
7: fought any as a professional? Because yeah. yeah. you got to kind of have to be in the ring. You can't just ask someone, you know, how is it being in the ring with a right. Russian fighter? You got to go through that. So you feel like you've been through that. And Korobov, is just you're, you're ready for that meet, huh?
5: That's right. You right. know, they, I feel like those Eastern Europeans, they have a very similar mentality to the Mexican mm-hmm. fighters. Mm-hmm. They don't back down. They come forward. They're strong. They take a good shot. Uh, so you have to be very mentally and physically prepared to fight these types of guys.
6: Yes, we are. All of the above. I'm again. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I'm, I'm going to take it back a little bit. You mentioned, you know, the Jamal fight against him. And, um, you know, you watched it. You said you want to make a statement. You know, come fight night. So you do make a statement. You win the fight. Is that the next fight you're looking forward to? It's Jamar Charlo fight?
5: I mean, if that's what uh, PBC and Showtime want, then that's the fight I'm going to take. You know, he's a, very, um, he's a very big name in the sport. But of I mean, it. you
6: want to make a statement for a reason. Absolutely. What, what reason is
5: that? The reason is because, you know, I want to I I take over the middleweight division. You know, I want to fight the best fighters out here. Um, I don't believe Charlo is one of the best fighters in the middleweight division, you know? Who is he? I mean, if, if Canelo comes back down to middleweight, that's the fight I'm looking for. You know, I want to fight the best. I want to be in the biggest and baddest fights possible, and I think my style is 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 perfect for a man like that.
4: It, has this been your advice? Have you advised Chris to to move back down to 160? Do you you see him at his best there?
8: Most certainly, he moved up to super middleweight uh, because of the World Boxing Super Series. Right. So the money that was on offer Exposure. was too good, and effectively. I put him into that, and it is what it is. But he was fighting men who were coming down from 190 pounds.
5: Yeah. Awesome. So effectively, I was he was breakfast the day of the weigh-ins mm-hmm. to make 168, right. wow. and then I was getting into the ring the next day at 168, not not a pound over. Whereas these guys are putting on 10, 20 pounds, so you know they had a very big physical oh. advantage against me. So I feel like coming down to middleweight, I'm going to be a lot more powerful, a lot more explosive, because I'm going to be fighting guys who are not much naturally bigger men than me, you know? So we, he
8: will be the big middleweight.
7: And, and that was what I was wondering. We've seen you at 168 as well as 160, and I kind of had the feeling that it, depended on who the fight was, would, would depend on whether or not you fight at 168, 160. Is that correct, or are you, are you going to make a, a official move to 160 and be there? He's making
8: an official move okay. to 160. Okay. I, I mean, the reasons for which is, as he said, Canelo.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm Yeah, that's, that was... There's a lot you know. of big names. Yeah. Golovkin, that's, yeah. that's a fight, you know, if it could be made, I would love that fight. You know, yeah. I want to fight the, the big names, the marquee names out of course. there. And I'm the 30 marquee years name. old, I got, I got, you know, a couple years where, you know, I'm still in my prime. So this is the time now to get these big fights and mm-hmm. to prove myself. Well,
4: mm-hmm. Why the gap then uh, until this fight? Because would you say the biggest win of your career so far was the win in, in what was it, February against James DeGale. So it would be almost 10 months or 10 months or more?
5: Yeah, there's been, you know, I'm now with uh, over here in America. Um, I I wanted to fight three times this year. Boxing sometimes things don't map out like you know they're supposed to. Um, but we have this great fight here in New York on uh, December 7th against Matt Co- Matt Khabarov, and it's going to mm. be. Uh, I think it's going to be a great introduction to the American audience. You know, I'm a very exciting fighter, mm-hmm. very fan friendly. I don't coast, you know, I don't back down. I'm always looking to stop my guy. I'm always looking to advance and, and be in these exciting fights. Mm-hmm. So um, I think my style is perfect for the American audience.
6: I like, it. Hold on. I like the energy. I like, you know, the enthusiasm. You, you're ready to, to showcase and bright that night, but, I mean... Uh, I do gotta you know bring it up and ask you know we, we saw it against you know Anthony Joshua his debut you know here in, in the states, are you in any way nervous? Are you pressured to to really put on a, a great performance? Or you know what? Listen, at, at
5: this stage, every fight is is pressure. Every every fight is you have to perform. Um, that's the mindset I've had mm. my entire career. I have to go out there and be the best fighter I can be, uh, and uphold the legacy. That me and my father have built. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something that, you know, I've had so many, I've had so much pressure and so much attention on me from day one. I fought mm-hmm. in front of two million viewers uh, on on Channel Five in England in my first pro fight, which is it's unheard of. Mm-hmm. You know? So I've I've always had this this expectation and legacy to live up to, and now here, 30 years old in America, America. this mm-hmm. is the perfect time for me to make that next step and to you know introduce the Eubank legacy to. United States. I'm not
7: gonna say welcome to America because you've been here for a little while. How is it being at the at the Mayweather gym?
5: Yeah. So I mean, obviously, I I actually began my amateur career here in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, in America, and then I moved back to England and turned pro and, and, and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I've trained on and off here in uh, in here in New York and in Vegas. Um, for for years, I've spent a lot of time with Floyd and, mm-hmm. and his father, learned so much from them and, and, and the gyms out there. Um, you know I, I trained at your gym as an amateur, yeah. uh, Barry's boxing. yeah. I uh, had my first 10 amateur fights in Vegas. Yeah. Um, but yeah I'm just I'm super excited now nice. to, to take that first step into my pro. Career as a, as a professional fight out here as a
6: pro. Now, have you had one of those infamous uh, sparring sessions at the uh, Mayweather gym, the doghouse? I have. They call it the doghouse. Yeah. You have. Yeah. I have. No time. No time limit. Just really? go in there and, and. Can you say your name? No, no, who you sparred not. But how was it? It was. Listen, he's still here. It kind of. He's
5: still here. It kind of sucked because I was actually I, I got off the plane the day before, so right. I was still jet
6: lag. Oh.
5: But, um, they got you there. They, yeah, yeah, they like you know. to do that. Yeah, yeah.
6: When you get here, just now, okay, get on the get in the ring. You know we're the, tough. We just want to get in there.
5: Yeah, when, when Floyd's there, it's like. Mm. You got to prove yourself. Of you got to get in there and you got to do your of thing. Course. You can't say no. If yeah. someone says they want to spar, you got to get uh-huh. in there and spar.
7: I, I got a Prop question for I nice. got a question for Dad. Dad, uh, your son is, is carrying on a legacy. You, how how do you feel about what he's doing so far in his professional career?
8: <coughs> they always say I'm controversial. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't mean to be, I suppose. Truth actually is controversial. You see, three years ago, he was swindled or moved out of a fight with GGG. And uh, our name uh, was um, bandied around as being um, lacking integrity. Uh. So, you know, today, um, Golovkin is said to be uh, a fighter who may be in the twilight of his career. Uh-huh. Three years ago, I said to Junior that the best fighter on the planet is Canelo. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I don't see that. He said, I can beat him. I said, well, this guy here, you make any mistakes, he'll cut you to ribbons. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now he's telling me he's going to actually take care of Khabarov, Yeah. He's going to beat Charlo. Yeah. And he wants to be in position to fight Canella.
5: Mm-hmm. Right.
8: Because I can see the way he beats him. He believes he can beat him.
7: Mhm.
8: And if you've seen him when he switched on, he is fierce. Yes. And he has my constitution when it comes to staying power. Very good. Or being able to absorb punishment. That of which I'm sure he'll have to take against Canelo Uh at some point. Yeah. But he's got the beating of him because of an element of which I'm not going to mention because I'm not giving anything away. Of course. Because the fight's going to happen. Yeah.
7: Understood.
4: Sean, does your dad ever tell you there is somebody that you couldn't beat?
7: I don't think so. I don't think my dad has ever... uh, or maybe yet? No, no. I, I have. Yeah. I've told him who he can't be.
8: Well, how yeah.
4: do you feel about that?
8: Uh, don't tell them the name. Yeah, no, no, I, wasn't name. How how you, I wasn't yeah. going to how tell you, them I,
7: just, the name. I think the difference there is I don't think my dad and I, we really never looked that far into the future. I think we look always kind of concentrated on what was right in front of us and just ahead of us and kind of try to handle one fight and one goal at a time.
8: Hmm. So, no, I have a different view Right. I suppose, you know, having retired some 20 years ago, I've got the experience and as the time has passed, yes, it's given me this insight and yes. the insight gives you a forevision yeah. where you can predict and see things. Uh-huh. Okay, and so therefore with Junior, I can see what he can do. He perhaps may not be able to see it, I can see it and if the trust is there before uh, uh, between father and son,
7: there's not much he can't do.
6: You sound just like my dad. <laughs> no, but I, I want him to answer that. You know what? You know how do you feel about you know your father maybe saying that there's a certain fight that maybe you can't beat yet or.
5: I mean, in my last fight, in the press conference, he said he was worried I was going to lose to to James the Gale, mm. um, and I said it then. You know. I'm not really. Uh, I, I can't worry myself with what other people think. You know, obviously, even it's my your father. Own father. Yeah, you have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have any doubts. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're fighting uh, Satan himself. You know, you have to believe 100% that you can beat any man on the planet. Mm-hmm. You can't go into uh, into the ring thinking, "Oh, I might get hurt." You know, this might happen. That might happen. Fun. I wasn't it's one hundred percent. So that's how I've always done.
8: I was making sure that you were switched on.
5: <laughs> now,
8: if I'm worried, then That's yeah. worried? Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me switch on.
7: That sounds familiar. Uh,
8: <laughs>
4: it's a difficult transition to make, but I'm going to try and make yes. it anyway. Uh, boxers, you only have to look here for a second to see how well dressed uh, you guys are. Some of the best dressed athletes in the world. We got one of the all-time best dressed here today. Senior, always very dapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd like to give or we'd like to give you the opportunity to give us your thoughts on some of these fighters, if you would, we're gonna play a game called PBC's Best Dressed. Oh,
7: look at Chris Eubanks Sr. Here we go, let's go.
4: First up, Deontay Wilder. What do you make of it? (laughs) Let's see, have we got it? How do you feel about this outfit?
8: Um, It is spectacular.
4: That's spectacular. It
8: is, you can see. <laughs> you're going to give
4: doesn't 10 give...
8: out of 10 for that one? I, I, I didn't say 10 out of 10. Oh,
4: OK. I said well, I spectacular. spectacular might be 10 out of 10. Uh,
8: no, it, uh, the word actually says it all. Doesn't doesn't it give you that spectacular feeling, what he's wearing? Would it's... you wear it? Would, would I? Wear it? Um, when I'm in for a penny, I'm in for a pound. So oh. if I wore it, it would look good, too. There you go.
4: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> OK, uh, next up, let's move on to the Charlo twins. I feel like you're going to like this one. That's a nice one. Yeah.
8: Nice. Well, you know, uh, we can't joke about them too much because he's going to be taming one of them in the not-too-distant future. Uh-huh. Here we go. Jamal, the one with the A, not the E. Yeah, Jamal. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, carry on. Out <laughs> of the two, which on.
7: would you wear? Out of the two, which would you wear? What would you put on?
4: Uh, the, oh, uh, we're already on to Caleb Plant. Okay. Caleb Plant, sophisticated, suave, Kelly's all understated. There.
8: You know, yes, uh, carry, carry on.
4: That's working. All right, Danny Garcia. Uh, The pink satin pajama look shirt. You You, you, know what?
7: You're showing your chest? You're going to show your chest? Well, I can't do that, being the gentleman (laughs)
8: that I am. Yeah. Uh, No, we don't know about showing (laughs) chests. But what I would say is, you know, it works for him. Yeah. Right. Um, And anything you wear is about getting into the character of what you're wearing.
6: Mm
8: -hmm. Okay, so it's about. uh, it's about your energy and your
6: spirit within All that right, makes clothes. It's fine. not what you're wearing, it's how you make it look.
4: That's it. A mm. uh, bit of British swag for you to finish off. What oh, do
6: you think Uh oh. Mm.
4: Uh oh.
7: There we go. Killer. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, Did you teach him? 10 out of 10? Did you teach him
8: well? I would hope that uh, it would roll off onto him yeah. um, the idea of being sartorially elegant. Mm. There is a quotation that goes as follows it's about the dandy. The dandy? Mm-hmm. and dandy is a clothes-wearing man, a man whose office, trade, and existence exists in the wearing of clothes. Yes. Every faculty of his soul, spirit, purse, and person is heroically consecrated in this one object, wow. the wearing of clothes, mm-hmm. wisely and well. So as others may dress to live, the dandy actually lives to dress.
7: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what you grew up with, huh? I grew up with that I like a that. whole lot more. Hey, I like that. What?
6: The- well, no. what what happened to Sean well, and I it's well, you can no just... love no love. How do you feel about Sean's no tie? Love. Sean likes a thick knot. And socks. And I, saw, I saw that. He's, he's always you know, messing with those socks.
8: You see that? He was like, yeah, baby, <laughs> yeah, this is hot, babe. But it's like he
7: said, the the don't. The, it's what you Yeah, the clothes. What you're yeah, it's what you're the clothes. That's right. Uh, but, uh, very good. All,
4: All right, guys. See you yeah, Brilliant likewise. to see you. Best likewise. of luck Pleasure. with your US debut. We're rooting mm. for you. Uh, will you stick around for us as well?
8: Oh, absolutely. Perfect. Thank
4: you. Thank you for watching. Well, if you enjoyed that clip, make sure you click uh, somewhere around here and subscribe from fight highlights to exclusive interviews. We have got everything you need as a boxing fan right here on PBC on Fox. I thought
9: it was incredible. I mean, just what we learned, the energy in, in the uh, in the building that night, obviously the, the names that were interested, the, the shock waves and tremors it's caused around the world. I thought it was a brilliant experiment. You know, I mean, I don't think is something that we look at now. Right now, everyone's hot on it. So you've got broadcasters, sponsors, well what, when's the next one? Who are you gonna put in next? I don't think we can look at it like that. This is a one-off between two huge stars with huge followings. I don't think there's anyone else in their field that it could have worked with. You know, I think uh, they were perfect for each other. Um, Smash numbers all around the world. It was a, was an entertaining fight, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Both guys respected the sport. Both guys were in shape. Both guys tried their nuts off. And it's funny because, you know, on the night, we w- were hoping that some of the pros would show this new audience some of the things that were great about boxing. And actually, those two showed people a couple of things that were great about boxing hard work, will to win, you know, um, respect after as well. And you know, KSI's, like Logan, for me, Log- technically Logan is the better fighter. KSI won't like that, but I just, that's what I think. But KSI has got so much heart and dogging him. Like he was gassed after two rounds. <coughs> and he just showed so much heart and will to win. And you see at the end when he got the decision, uh, Vidal Riley and him, like they, they genuinely really wanted to win. You know, in the other corner you got Shannon Briggs who ain't stopped moaning since the fight. Like about the two point deduction, like, I gave the two-point deduction.
0: because go the right? there was no warning and it wasn't really that much of a We are. are. You fucking crazy. Are you crazy. You
9: know, he should have given some better advice to his fighter, which should have been step on the gas. You know, you've got to start forcing the pace now. You know, he, he jabbed well, but he didn't do a lot more else. You know, I know there wasn't bundles of clean shots landed, but all the hard work, the guy that was pushing the fight was KSI. <laughs> It doesn't make it right. I think he was trying to level it up, you know. Effectively, Logan pulled his head down, hit him with an uppercut, and he was gone. By the way, like if he if he hadn't have punched him while he was on the floor, I think the fight might have been over because KSI's legs had deceived him. Um, but I think what Jack was probably trying to do was level up the round, you know. Right or wrong, you know, he's, all of a sudden there's a knockdown that shouldn't have been. It's 10-8. It shouldn't really be. So I'm going to take two points off you for your two fouls. He has the right to take two points off for one foul. But, you know, Jack Reese is a very experienced referee. And uh, I see a lot of uh, sour grapes from a lot of people, you know. But I thought it was a very close fight. I would have given it to KSI just because of of the work rate and the will to win. And, And, you know, he threw a lot more punches, in my opinion. But I think Logan landed one or two more. And by the way, Logan Paul was very lucky not to be scored... Uh, have a knockdown scored against him as well. Was it in the third round or something like that? So, you know, it could have, could have been a few changes in the fight. Yeah. I mean, if I'm KSI right now, I'm thinking, you know what, maybe I think I'm just going to retire. You know, I've had one pro fight, massive win for my career. I got a single drop in with Rick Ross and Little Baby, like now. Life is good. What do you want to go and do that for? But it's really addictive. You know, I could imagine the experience they got on Saturday was just like nothing else they've ever done. So there are a lot of people who want to take part in a fight and some of them can really fight as well. And uh, that could be against Logan or KSI. But again, right now it's just about understanding what just happened, digesting the information, the numbers and seeing where it takes us.
2: Let's Let's go. Go. Let's go.
7: Yes. <laughs> oh,
9: These two are the biggest in what they do. So I don't think there's any two guys bigger than them that could do the same thing. So it was an experiment, but it was an extremely positive one. So does it end here? Probably not. You, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a lot of other promoters trying to do this kind of YouTube stuff or celebrity boxing stuff. But we got to respect the code of the sport enough. And some people would say, well, you didn't anyway. We did. You know, We went through all the proper process and these guys turned pro legitimately. They trained legitimately with top class teams. They put the work in. And you know what? They weren't that bad. No, Shannon was also criticising me that I said they're not real fighters. They're not really real. Like, you know, when I talk about a real fighter, I'm talking about someone who grew up in the sport, went through an amateur code, had been training for years and years. These guys deserve all the credit in the world because they went through the process, they put the work in, and they showed a lot of of balls in the ring. But they're not like seasoned fighters. But they showed a big fighting heart, and, and everybody loved it.